video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when uh, you want Hello, to my name is Justin Clue, and I'm here today with Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast. And Mark is coming live from Bay Street Video, and I'm coming live from my apartment. Mark, what are you still doing there? I'm still working. Can you believe it? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I, no. think, I think we've talked about the fact that I sleep here, though, didn't you? Like, this is <laughs> actually right. where I live, so I don't really have anywhere but to go. But you're coming live from Bay Street because there is another service, mailboxes, which is essential in the building that you take care there of. There is. So yeah, we were ordered by the Ontario government to close because all non-essential businesses were ordered to close. But we do run a mailbox service here, which means, yeah, we basically have a bank of mailboxes that we rent out to people, just like a Canada Post type thing. But because mail is obviously still an essential service, we somebody needs to be here to sort the mail, put it into the boxes, uh, yeah, just accept packages, give out things. So we can't totally be closed. We just have to close like all the video store aspects because that's obviously not essential anymore. Um, but yeah, in terms of the mailboxes, somebody still has to be here. So myself and the other manager are trading off days basically where we're here just from like 10 to 4 to accept mail and deliveries and stuff like that. So yeah, and then just to do behind the scenes sort of like managerial stuff and product stuff we gotta send back a bunch of product now that you know get credits since who knows how long we're gonna be Wait, closed this for is the perfect opportunity mark to completely reorganize i know the i know we've thought about that i know the manager <laughs> the general manager has some good plans in mind for uh, reorganizing parts of the store and i think he's gonna get started on that but like honestly there are so many projects that we want to get done around the store on a day-to-day basis that just get keep getting put on the back burner because it's just so busy here all the time that honestly now's the perfect time to do it time to knock that wall over build the little cinema in bay street video <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> you won't even recognize the place when we're and you it. still got an order this week of new stuff we did. well it's funny yeah we did tuesday was new release day obviously for march 24th and it was our last day open so technically we did have new stuff on the shelves on tuesday for one day that people could have got. Uh, but, you know, when we reopen again, all that stuff will be there still. So why don't we talk about it, you know? Yeah, you want to get people uh, satiated for this stuff. Get excited for, you know, four to six months from now when the store reopens. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Remember <laughs> the this podcast, landscape. people. Remember this, yeah. Plus all the uh, four months of products that's going to that's gonna pile up in the interim. Well, it sounds so. like a lot of the distributors are probably going to stop putting stuff out. I don't know. Yeah, I will say that we didn't there's a lot of stuff that was due out this week um that actually didn't even arrive because a lot of the suppliers and a lot of the distribution houses have just shut down so they're not shipping stuff or the shipments are just getting delayed or whatever so we are we were already starting to see some things like not arrive so i think and i know now with a lot of the places in the u.s going into like total state lockdown i know places like vinegar syndrome or synapse or places like that have put out notices saying like they can't even be in the office at all anymore so they're gonna like try and do some things remotely but like as to if they can get discs pressed or things like that like i I don't know anymore i don't think they can i think that they said that they're like the the people that press the discs have closed down because that is not an essential service yeah that's definitely not an essential service so we got a few things like in advance for like the 31st and even april 7th but like not much and now i think and now like we've stopped all of our shipments here so because there's obviously nobody coming in so we don't want to like have all these shipments keep coming in for stuff we can't sell right now but 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens when things start up again. So first off, we have new Arrow releases. It feels like a long time that Arrow has appeared on this podcast. <laughs> I know, right? I feel like uh, we talk about them all the time, but then I try and think of the last one we talked about, and I can't actually remember. Because we got Beyond the Door, 1974's Exorcist ripoff, directed by Ovidio G. Asinidis. The guy who made, uh, probably most famously, The Visitor is one of his. Which is a great, great, crazy movie, which I'm sure all cult movie fans have seen by this point. Um, But actually, one of my favorites of his is... uh tentacles or tentacoli as it's known in uh in Italy. is it one of your favorites oh, i love tentacoli man that movie is ridiculous <laughs> i love the score of tentacles <laughs> yeah. i've used it a lot i think in recently on something i did i just hit it under like barely audible because that composer he just writes the same thing over and over again so it's great <laughs> as like background noise. right right <laughs> and so have you seen beyond the door's exorcist film which is very yeah, popular you know i actually i actually just watched it over this weekend because it's what i've always wanted to see and then just never got around to it the dvd has been out of print for a long time and we never had like a rental here or anything um but i liked it i thought it was a lot of fun i mean it was actually more of a it's equally as much of a rosemary's baby ripoff as it is an exorcist ripoff um like the first hour of it is basically just a rosemary's baby ripoff completely and then it switches into like an exorcist ripoff so clearly a video is like you know what people like this rosemary's baby people like this exorcist let's just slam them together into one movie here and this is arrow so it's a big special edition i'm sure oh man yeah they've put so much on this it's one of their big sets with like a book in it and it's like in a box and everything so it could be one of those limited things which at least like the book will go out of distribution at a certain point um but yeah, I mean, we got tons of them here. So Yeah, I think that Code Red had put it out originally, and it was like a two-disc special edition. So they may have ported yeah, the Yeah, I think they it. did. And uh, there's two versions of the film on there, which might have been on the Code Red one. But they've got like, yeah, the Italian version and the American version. I mean, they're both ridiculous. It's just it's just such a – it's if you know a video's stuff, it's exactly like that. Uh, it's got like – a sheen to it. It's definitely got like a professional sheen, but it's just like such a ripoff scene. And certain scenes are just like, like the whole scene in the exorcist where, you know, Linda Blair's head spins around and she spits, she vomits, you know, pea soup over everybody is done. Like is done exactly the same in beyond the door too. So like <laughs> clearly they're whoa, and I'm whoa. Pretty sure that not beyond the door too. Beyond the Door, because there is a Beyond the Door 2 and 3. Which is Shock, though, right? Beyond the Door 2 is the Mario Bava film, Shock, which is also really good. I always like that. I haven't seen Beyond the oh, Door man. 3. That has one of my favorite shots of all time, and anyone who has seen the movie. <laughs> Where the kid turns into the man. I think one of the Conjuring films ripped that gag off. Maybe the Conjuring 2? I love that scene. <laughs> I think The Conjuring 2 ripped that say Yeah, because my partner and I, I remember saw that in theaters and that happened. We're like, wait a second. That's just like shock. So we also have another Arrow release, The Passion of Darkly Noon. And this is another yeah. film. I say another film. Like we've talked about him before. Philip Ridley, who directed The Great Reflecting Skin. And this was, I guess, not his Hollywood effort, but he finally was working with such heavyweights as Brendan Fraser and <laughs> Ashley Judd. And Viggo Mortensen again, of course, who was, I guess, a little bigger at this time than he was in Reflecting Skin. Have you seen this film? I have not. Have you? I have. I, I've of seen course this. you have. This was the first. I know, yeah. Well, obviously, <laughs> I'm a Brendan Fraser fanatic over yeah. here, so how could I pass this a up? A Fraser file. Uh, no, <laughs> I was always interested in Philip Ridley uh, when I was a teenager, and this was actually the first one of his I saw before even the Reflecting Skin. 
And it, it's, so it's been a while since I've seen it. I don't remember it working as well as it thinks it is. That's it's definitely what every like, single person has said is like, yeah. I wish it was better. And it's yeah. confidently not as good <laughs> as you want it to yeah. be. I totally agree with that. It's very over the top and heightened. It's basically like a fairy tale. It's like he pitches it like a modern fairy tale, but it like takes place in the woods. And there's this, you know, Ashley Judd just lives in the woods by herself, like waiting for her husband to come home. And then Brendan Fraser is some mysterious drifter that shows up (laughs) and it's this battle of will. And then the husband shows up and it's this sort of love triangle thing. I remembered having like it's got a lot of mood to it, like his films always do. It doesn't work as well as Reflecting Skin does, or even his... He made a later film with uh, Jim Sturgis called Heartless, which was also really good. Yeah, that's um, right. Jim Sturgis like in is, a hoodie on the cover. I know, I know. You wouldn't think quality from Jim Sturgis, but I actually really <laughs> like Heartless. Whoa, we're taking it out know, on the poor so, old Sturge. Sorry, Jim. Sorry, Sturgis fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, this one, I think it's still worth a watch if you're a Philip Ridley fan, but maybe go into it with, like, measured expectations. I think I think it's just a little too ridiculous for its own good, but it plays it so straight that it's hard to even, like, get into that camp of it. But I don't know. I'd be, I want to give it another shot myself, and uh, I know it's definitely developed a cult following over the years, just like his other stuff. Seen Reflecting Skin if you haven't seen that one. Yeah, that one's excellent. And that one was also put out recently by Film Movement about a year or so ago in like a nice special edition. Oh, so. I picked up the Canadian-only edition that was oh, only like 12 yeah, bucks. Yeah, the mongrel one. Yeah, I know. That, which was also a really good edition, yeah. but you know, went out of print, print pretty quickly. What, it was like Soda Pop or something like that that put it out? Yeah, it was an, well, it was an offshoot of Mongrel that they were trying out this soda pictures line uh, they only released like a couple of it was like that and i think it was like ben wheatley's high rise and maybe one or two others and like and then it was done they just stopped doing that label so masker video is putting out a uh taiwanese film 1981's the devil i've never seen this one and i've been a little bit um reticent because it just doesn't have good reviews anyone who's seen it has been like it's fine like there's a million of these kind of <laughs> Taiwanese black magic films that are ripoffs of like uh, Boxer's Omen, which is a Shaw Brothers film, or um, I'm trying to think of what are the other ones that the director made. Oh, Black Magic is another like, ooh, we're in Taiwan and we're scared of other countries and it's kind of xenophobic because <laughs> they cast magic spells. But this film right, has never okay. been available anywhere on DVD or Blu-ray and they got like a yeah. print of it. They remastered it. This one has been talked about for a long time. Masker Video, I think it's like one guy, so it takes a while sometimes. Yeah, they definitely traffic in the obscure, obscure stuff. Um and this is actually late, too. We were supposed to get this, like, a month or so ago. I find their releases generally take a little while to actually yeah. get to our store. Mr. No Legs. But once they do, Still, it's yeah. coming. It's coming. One day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they are really nicely put together and everything. I'm just, like, not familiar with a lot of the films they actually put out. Put out so. I mean, I'm familiar um, with Don Doler's Fiend that they put out. Exactly. Yeah, they one. have put out Fiend. Yeah, they put out, like, Hack-O-Lantern and stuff like that, oh, which is cool. You. I know, yeah. I know. We sold a lot of Hack a Lantern, though. I will say that they did some like VHS stuff too. Like they released a lot back in the day that I really enjoyed. Yeah, they did some cool SOV stuff. They were doing kind of like an Intervision mm-hmm. thing with DVDs at first. Uh, they released this uh, shot on video slasher from the '80s called Five Five Five, which has like right. the best video cover of Ugh, all that time. Head. I, 
I know. I used to see it in the video store as a kid growing up and never saw it. Still haven't seen it to this day, but always going to the video store to look at that cover and like freak myself out. Oh, I've seen it. Um, oh, is it any good? I actually bought the DVD, but I still haven't watched it. Yet. <laughs> it's not good. It's not. It's, not, it's, yeah. it's shot that's like a thing, I bought it and I'm like, yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. You know, I bought it and I was all ready to watch it. And then I saw some reviews and they're like, every review was like, this has the greatest cover of all time, but the movie's garbage. That head so. does appear in the movie, though. So the cover does doesn't it? lie. Okay. Yeah, it does. Because that's a steal from the oh, film. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. We also have Shout Factory's April Fool's Day, a film that I remember my sister telling me about when I was a kid. And even then I was like, Ugh, that ending's so lame. You don't like the ending? Like the end. Well, do you know, I mean, they probably go through this in yeah. the disc, that the script had an extra 20 pages Interesting. where it does turn into what that. the film is supposed to be. And the novelization, I believe, has that extension. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I can see why the ending would, like, not satisfy certain people because, like... I mean, I don't, it's kind of hard to talk about it without spoiling it, but it kind of, I guess, defeats the purpose of a slasher film, I guess, by the end. <laughs> yeah, of I it. want him to have stakes. But, yeah, you know, <laughs> but you know what? I kind of liked, honestly, I always liked how it subverted my expectations a bit. Like, obviously, the whole time I'm kind of thinking, like, so is this whole thing an April Fool's Day joke? I mean, it's right there in the title, right? And, like, is it? Is it not? You're not sure. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, the ending what kind of works for me in sort of a fun way, just because at least it's a little different than a lot of like the wave of 80s slasher movies. Yeah, it's the guy who made um, When a Stranger Calls and the superior it is, when a right. stranger calls back. Yeah, but he's got some style, though. He I mean, does. He knows, he, how does. To, he knows how to make a slasher movie work. And I, I think that there's a lot of the kill sequences that work for me. And I, I do like some of the performances. But They're so uh, bloodless. Like, it know. is a PG-13 slasher. Famously so. Well, that's how it kind of tips its hand towards the ending too early, I guess. Because the way they portray the kill sequences, they kind of leave stuff out, right? And then you're thinking like, oh, well, we never actually saw this happen or that happen so what that what actually is going on here uh, but i don't know people really like this film and they have shout factory's done the whole like deluxe screen factory edition for this um, and we actually sold a ton of these even on just the one day we were open wow yeah people were still coming in eh? yeah people were still coming in they wanted that april fool's day <laughs> i mean the <laughs> if thing I is go if they down i need to clutch April Fool's <laughs> well, Day in my hand. I mean, hands. if they didn't get it now, they wouldn't have it in time for April Fool's Day, right? So, I mean... Right. Yeah. Where they watch it probably alone in the basement. <laughs> Isn't that a thing? Everybody watches April Fool's Day on April Fool's Day. <laughs> yeah, and the remake, too. Yeah. There's a remake, right? Oh, there is a remake. a remake. Yeah. Never seen it, but I remember when that was, was coming out. I wonder if they do the exact same thing with it. I assume probably. Uh, I bet you they don't. No, they think I don't know. They, it was like a DTV remake, it? was, wasn't it? yeah. I don't think it was like a theatrical. No, I think I was working at Roger's Video at the time when it came out and just showed up on the shelf. Huh. Oh, yeah. It came out in 2008. Wow. Yeah. Directed by the Butcher Brothers. Wow. The Butcher Brothers. Okay. That's a mark of quality <laughs> right there. So we also have Frankenstein, the true story. I've never heard of this movie before. Yeah, I've never seen this. I know it is. It's a TV movie version from the 70s with uh, James Mason. 
Uh, that's about all I know, though. <laughs> as the monster? Is, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wish. I would have loved I to wish. see James yeah. as the monster. Uh, it is. It's, and uh, uh, finally, you can get the true story of Frankenstein. It's directed by the guy who did um, Harper, which right. is a great yeah. noir that came out. So, yeah, I mean, considering that I've never heard about it, uh, I think if it was good, I would have heard about it. <laughs> I mean, I know it. We ha- we've had it on DVD at the store, like as a rental and everything for a while. And it's always sold and rented consistently. So I think there is there's something about it An that audience. people like. I yeah. think, you know, you put somebody like James Mason in it and people are like, ooh, class. <laughs> But you know, Ken is Bra- Brana or Bust. Yeah, is what I say. <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking. It's like a three-hour like miniseries. Like Jesus Christ, huh? This true story of uh, Frankenstein is pretty expansive. And... Uh, and we also have Shout is putting out the Wizard, uh, the classic infomercial for Nintendo. <laughs> and this is this week's Blind Buy. Blind Buy. Blind Buy. Blind Buy. Because neither you uh, or I have seen The Wizard, apparently. <laughs> no. It's weird that I haven't. I yeah. just never had any inclination to. I mean, everyone has seen that clip with the guy putting on the power Oh, my glove God. That loser. Yeah. And going like, <laughs> yeah, man. It's so bad. Oh, my God. What's his name again? Lucas or something like that? Lucas. Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know why I never saw this either. I always obviously loved Nintendo growing up, and I had a lot of friends that saw this and just never got around to it. I don't know. So you were a Nintendo kid? Were, did yeah. you like flip through Nintendo Power? Did you have any I mean, gaming systems? I will say I was a little late for Nintendo. I started with Super Nintendo. So yeah, Super Nintendo. Yeah, I was not. I never actually got the regular Nintendo, but I, you know, I've played it since. Uh, so I had Super Nintendo, and then I had N sixty four, and then after that, I kind of just stopped playing video games Wait, too did much, your parents so. buy you did you have like 97 games oh yeah like they talk about in this movie <laughs> i didn't have that many games i just had like the standards i had like super mario world so, i mean i had this great racing game though called top gear which i don't know if anybody mm. remembers but the racing game they play in the wizard which they refer to as like f100 racing or something the one where the guy mm-hmm. lucas dis- uh, demonstrates the power glove on yeah is exactly like top gear so i was I was a little confused huh. by that. It's like, was it just basically the same game or I don't know any top, top gear fans out For there? For people that don't know the power glove, which only appears once in this movie, doesn't matter. It's <laughs> literally an infomercial. Yeah, I love how it never comes back for the final battle or anything. But. Now that thing was really cool looking. And I had uh, cousins who were obsessed with Nintendo and their parents bought them everything that came out and they had one of those. It did not work. No. It famously did not work. No, you can do anything. With it. They even had like, they even had like a mat, like a pro DDR style oh mat God, that you could play yeah. like sports games on. Like you could race and you could jump and stuff like that. Yeah. So the wizard, I actually had a lot more fun with this than I thought I was going yeah, to. Yeah, I thought it was okay. I, <laughs> I think my main problem with it, with it was that I didn't, the whole like, it's such like a futuristic seeming movie at first because they're just like, it's just an advertisement for Nintendo and all these cool like Nintendo gadgets. But then they insist on having this like old timey like crossing cross country America. We're going to California kind of plot and all these kids are just like hitchhiking across America and these like scamps are like they're constantly robbed and beat up. Like even when they're meeting this Lucas kid with the power glove, he like resides in some like house in the desert kind of thing. It's (laughs) (laughs) I'm like It's like Paris Texas. I know I kind of wanted like a bit more of a futuristic vibe, but I I actually liked how grounded it was that like 
there's almost like no big or silly laughs in it. It's all realistic. Yeah. Characters are constantly punched in the face and they like bleed or get like black eyes. <laughs> and it all builds up to this big video Armageddon competition. Oh my God, yeah. Where it's like, they don't even really need to win. There's not any stakes to what they're doing. No, it's basically just so that the kid, like the wizard can prove that he, you know, it's like if you win $5,000 at this, then they can't put you in a mental institution. It's like $50,000. Or $50,000, sorry, yeah. So it's a weird thing like, well, if you're rich, then all your problems are solved then, which I guess is a pretty, you know, capitalist message in line with the whole like Nintendo advertisement in the first place. I love but. that LA in this movie is just populated with people in like monster costumes. <laughs> I know. And they can't go anywhere. I know. It's amazing. I think they're at like Universal Studios they are. though. Because they like run onto a ride. Yeah. Well, that's the most amazing thing, right? Like the entire movie is just product. It's just an advertisement, honestly. And I love how it's just like, it's all Nintendo. And then you've got like, you got like Pepsi advertisements and there's 7-Eleven in there. And then the whole climax is just at Universal Studios as they're being like chased through the rides of Universal Studios by this private uh, detective out to get them. Yeah, the King Kong ride. <laughs> yeah, like fun. yeah, yeah. Never got to go on it. <laughs> I heard people who had said it was lame, but, you know, big, what? you know, monkey yeah, guy coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> now it's like a Shrek ride, I think. Yeah, oh, God, what a nightmare <laughs> with Smash Mouth playing like 24-7. Just Somebody, yeah. it just never ends. No, Somebody wants to what me. a nightmare! So, would you recommend The Wizard as a Blind Buy, Mark? You know what? I, I like. Yeah, I thought this was a fun movie. I think I would have liked it even more if I was a kid uh, watching it. But I do think, you know, and they put a big package. To, again, Shout Factory's done like their Shout Select thing because uh, it was on Blu-ray before, but just like a bare bones universal one. So they've like gone all out and put a lot of new stuff on it. And yeah, I thought it was fun. I, I will say I think it's got some of the best montages of all time. Uh, like, mm. I think some of the... Pa- the yeah, 80s... Bo Bridges getting addicted to playing <laughs> Nintendo. Know, right? Just some of the 80s power ballads they have that they go through. I love the opening credit sequence, too, where it's just like that cheesy like 80s power ballad while that kid while the wizard is just like walking towards the camera on like a desert highway while the entire it goes on for like 10 minutes it's just like the credits going in this horrible song but i don't know yeah, I, I would a, recommend it as well I, yeah i, I put a smile say. on my face so i mean and the cover and the show factory like the artwork is all like super nintendo inspired so it's got this like mario theme kind of like artwork whoa, whoa, on whoa. it super nintendo oh, sorry nintendo, nintendo inspired my bad my bad i thought it was going to be way more obnoxious than it ended up being yeah i would agree so with that that, that kind of took me aback but Mark, if you want something futuristic, <laughs> may I recommend a little film called Super Mario Brothers? Oh my god, don't even get me started on Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> what, about how much you love it? No, I can't, I don't like Super Mario Brothers at all. What? It's one of those movies I wish I liked more. I've seen it like three times now too, and I, like every time I like want it to be better, but like... I just, I find it boring. Like, I just can't get into it. It is super boring. There's a podcast out there called Movies Never Made where they read through all the drafts of Super Mario Brothers. And what's funny about it is they had it the first time. (laughs) They had figured it out and they had a script that like, it was kind of like a fantasy Princess Bride kind of stuff that had all the iconography of Mario. But then the directors came on and they went, we don't want to do this. And they completely rewrote everything for no reason. And that's my biggest problem is just like I loved Super Mario growing up and I don't get anything to do with Super Mario from that movie. No, So it's that classic problem of like 
Why are you making this movie? Yeah, exactly. If it's not going to feel anything at all like Super Mario Brothers, just make another movie that's like whatever this is <laughs> you're trying to make. It's. Uh, I think what I said is when movies like that come out, it's like the producers bought the property, went, this is dumb and the people that like it are dumb. Yeah. But I am so good, I will make a different version that is better than everything and those people will still love it. I know. It's an insane It's an insane thing to think. And those people are almost always proven wrong. Yeah. <laughs> So we also have two trauma films, Terra Firmer and Return to Return to Nukem High, Volume 2. <laughs> I am, like, completely unfamiliar with trauma. I've, I've never really been a trauma guy. Really? So I don't know. Have you seen either yeah, of these? Yeah, I've seen Terra Firmer. I saw it when it came out. Okay. It's a lot of fun. It's um, about making a trauma film. Yeah. But it was done, I think, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. So it's still all shot on film. It has that kind of vibe. It's really gross. I haven't seen it in maybe 15 years. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's nice that they're putting it back out on Blu-ray. Yeah. And Return of Nukem High, uh, I have no no time for these new promo movies. <laughs> yeah, this Shot is like... Shot on video, I made know. by fans. No fun. No yeah, fun. this was like 10 years ago, I think, or something. It was like 2000 or seven or eight yeah. or something came out. I don't know. Well, <laughs> is, did Volume 2 take this long to come out? I don't know. Because it was a part one. There was, yeah. And well, then I don't know if the part two came out right after but i don't think it did yeah is this like the third or fourth one though or is this actually i don't know so there's class of nukem high one to three right yeah and then return to nukem high which came out in uh 2013 oh and then return to return nukem high came out in 2017 right okay okay so there we go there we go we got the timeline and they're out on (laughs) blu-ray yeah you know, Troma every once in a while dips into their catalog to put something out on Blu-ray. So I own their though, proprietary stuff because I think um, yeah. Vinegar Syndrome owns the rights to all the uh, the rest of the catalog. You're right. You're right. Yeah, um, we do. Yeah, we've never really sold many Troma titles here, though. I don't know where the Troma fans are because they're not coming here. That's for sure. Hmm. I think maybe it was something like ten years ago, and maybe that's kind of gone away. Yeah, like, trauma seemed to be like a real big thing, right? When I was getting in on the internet, and then not so much anymore. Yeah, no, I mean we sell like some of the standards still, like Toxic Avenger, but like beyond that, it's uh, yeah, not much, not much business there. So classic wise, we got a new Criterion release: "The Cranes Are Flying" by Mikhail Kalatazov. Yeah, the director of "I Am Cuba." Yes, um, I haven't seen any of his films. He's a guy I've always wanted to get into because I hear "I Am Cuba" is like a well, you got time for now. The ages, for sure. I know. I do have time now. <laughs> have you seen this one? Yeah, it's good. It's nice and short. I think it's like 80 minutes long. It's filled nice. with all the long <laughs> takes that he's famous for. I Am Cuba is like three and a half hours long. Oh, I know. So yeah. it's long. <laughs> and uh, it was only available on DVD for the longest time. So it's nice to see it finally it come was. out on Blu-ray. Yeah. All right, so that's it we have for this criteria. Yeah, release. sorry, I, I I don't have much to say about this. <laughs> I wonder if it has one of those posters inside. I hate those posters. Stop doing yeah, that. Yeah, it probably does. They all seem to have those posters yeah, in there. They now. do. <laughs> and we also have Endless Night, uh, a British film from the director of Green is for Danger. It's an Agatha Christie um, yeah. adaptation, trying to maximize that knives out money, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, Agatha Christie stuff does very well for our clientele here, as you can imagine. <laughs> How many Agatha Christie adaptations do you need? I have no idea, man. They can keep making so many adaptations of these and, you know, older an older generation will eat them all up. <laughs> but this one's pretty well liked, though. Oh, you know? is it? Oh, I don't know. I've never heard of it before. I think so. Yeah, I don't know. Haley Mills is the star of this mm-hmm. one, right? And yep. Yeah, Haley Mills, <laughs> Britt Eklund, and Highwell Bennett. 
great. <laughs> we also have Mysteries. My Gun is Quick being released by Kino. Uh, after a private detective, Mike Hammer. Ooh, it's a Mike Hammer film. Defends a yeah. prostitute from violent thugs. She's killed in what looks like a hit and run accident. And then there's rings that are stolen by Nazis and only Mike Hammer can solve it. They never really cracked the Mike Hammer uh, template. Oeuvre. Even though like Mickey Spillane played him in one movie. I don't know. Yeah, I know he's like a big deal. Um, I've, we have a lot of, uh, Mike Hammer stuff here from different, like Stacy Keach played him, I think for a few Did he? TV movies. Wow. And then, yeah, I believe we have like a Mike Hammer set here, which is like a bunch of television movies that I, yeah, I believe it was Stacy Keach that played him. But this was, this is one that I know fans of that type of stuff have been waiting for for a while. Cause we had a ton of pre-orders ready uh, for this. There's a, a popular Mike Hammer film. It's directed by Robert Aldrich. It's the one that has a nuclear bomb in the case. Kiss Me Deadly. Kiss that's, Me Deadly. That's a Mike Hammer that's movie. That's a famous one. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Which I've actually never seen. Oh, that one's good. Shocking. Mark, you got all this free know, time. I gotta you gotta watch, watch some more movies. I think I know, what we're learning here is that you don't Yeah, you don't maybe I need to just start watching movies now, I guess, you know? <laughs> I never really thought about watching movies before, but, you know, I guess here we are. Um, we also have Return from the Ashes being released by Kino, an expert chess player, played by Maximilian Schell, is also an unpre- <laughs> unrepentant... Cad and Schemer. <laughs> uh, he, he marries a rich Jewish widow. However, he also becomes with his wife's stepdaughter, resulting in a complicated web of seduction Ooh. and deception. Does he play a gigolo in this, though? That's what, like, IMDb said to me. <laughs> oh, does it? It's, I don't know. IMDb says it's a before. Polish gigolo marries a rich Jewish doctor. <laughs> Ooh, how about that? Um, what did the description start with um, chess player? Oh, this is directed by uh, Journeyman Jay Lee yeah, Thompson. Yeah, yeah. Who's, uh, you know, directed some, some big films over the years. Yeah, uh, Charles Bronson fights a naked serial killer in oh, what is it called uh it's that would be death film? wish 10 to midnight <laughs> oh yeah 10 to midnight and he also did death wish 4 he's done a lot of uh charles bronson stuff actually oh yeah and he did happy birthday to me sorry i'm just looking at his uh filmography right now yeah he did some great planet of the apes movies conquest of the planet of the apes uh battle for the planet of the apes he did the Guns of Navarone. Yeah. Speaking of a movie we mentioned yesterday, uh, last yesterday, yeah. last episode. <laughs> what is time? What anymore? is time? Right. <laughs> um, and Cape Fear, of course, right? The original one. Yes, that's right. Cape Fear. Uh, I don't know, man. I do like the crazy Sam Raimi Cape Fear that Martin Scorsese directed. I know that that's a lot of fun. I, you know, they're they're both. Robert Mitchum's just so good in the original, though, too. That like, yeah. I, I love that. But and Kino is putting out. Again, Sergio Leone Western. I know what is going on. How many times do they need to be released? I know. So I don't know what who this is for because so many people bought those original, like the individual versions. But the one thing with this is it actually includes Once Upon a Time in the West as well, which wasn't a title that they put out individually and is still available just as kind of a bare bones Blu-ray from Paramount. So I guess Paramount just licensed it to Kino for this set only. And then that's it because there's no word of like a special edition of that coming, but it's got like, so Kino wants to like fleece yeah. uh, people that have already bought all the other ones. Exactly. Right. Cause it's, I think it's got the four. Yeah. It's got the three, uh, Clint Eastwood ones and it's got a uh, mm-hmm. fistful of dynamite. Duck you sucker. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's got once upon a time in the West. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, you know what? Like I've never packaged. bought these movies on Blu-ray. Well, there you go. So putting... now's the time, right? <laughs> I was just putting the big um, hard box set that I bought years, oh God, years ago yeah, yeah. in my big um, donation pile. 
man, this quarantine, I'm getting it's rid getting... of so many Blu-rays and DVDs. <laughs> nice. It's crazy. Beauty. I, I made a pile of ones that I have to watch. And I actually made a pile of ones where I'm like, I don't, I'm not, I'm probably not going to like these movies. Yeah. And I'm just going to get through them and then I can say I've watched them and I can put them away so I never have to think about them again. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah I'm going to do the same thing, actually. It, it's time to sort through the DVDs, everybody. If I've had the DVD forever and I've never watched it because I'm like, I'm not going to like that. Yeah. Because I'm not going to like it. Why do I still have it? I just like the idea of it. Yeah, I know. No, same here. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have, I'm getting rid of a bunch of rare stuff that... It's just not good. Why would anybody want it? Yeah, right. Well, I don't know. Maybe you could try selling it on Amazon Marketplace. I used to do that with some of the, like the rare stuff I had that I didn't want anymore. And I actually fetched some like pretty high prices for them. You know what? I was thinking of maybe just doing a thing where I make a list and I say like, you know, these are $5 and like at max, these are $10. Just email me if you want it and I'll ship it to you. Yeah, that's that's all you got to do. <laughs> and then like, and, and like, I want people to know. I do not like these movies or <laughs> yeah. I own them on Blu-ray. Yeah. Your taste is, is in I'm question here. You know, like please people do not think I actually like these I movies. Would be, well, no, it's cause I don't want them to get it, watch <laughs> it and be like, what the hell is and this? Send you an angry reply. But the thing is that like most of these movies, no one will know what they are. Yeah. Like yeah. there's one of them I have. It's a zombie film called flesh of my flesh. And <laughs> it title. even comes like collectible cards in it. So I'm sure, like, the director made these themselves. Beautiful. It's terrible. <laughs> like, it's so bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but hopefully it can go to a good home. Hope so, <laughs> yeah. Somebody will cherish that. Somebody out there. So there's a bunch of Warner Archives released that came out. Um, Bo Brumel, a period drama based on the career of England's, England's famous dandy and amateur <laughs> politician. Yeah. Bo Brumel, he's a, he's a storied character in uh, British history. <laughs> I believe so, yeah. I've never heard They've of him They've done a before. lot of British television adaptations of this uh, of this story, but this was like the classic Hollywood version. Uh, yeah, never seen it, but you know, you get like Elizabeth Taylor's in there, Peter Ustinov, you know, you got a pretty big cast. I think it's, it's never been on DVD mm. at all before. This is like the first time wow. on any format other than I guess VHS. And we also got Dodsworth, which is a great William Wyler film starring Walter Houston. I have seen this one and it's very, very good. Cool. Yeah. This has always been a popular one for us. And we actually also sold a ton of these on the one day it was on the show. <laughs> and from Sony, we got Godspell coming out. Yeah. I've actually never seen. So I'm guessing this. This is the 1973 version. It's the yeah, the classic musical one, whatever version that is. The, the 70s one. one. <laughs> yeah, the classic one, right? Is there another Godspell? I don't even know. Well, I was looking and there was like a 2007 uh, probably okay. like live adaptation that came no, out. No, you're right. This is the 73 one with with Canada's own Victor Garber in the in the lead. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah the main role. Like, I've actually never seen this one. Me neither. Uh, actually, I do love Jesus Christ Superstar, but from there, it's real diminishing returns. Yeah, with, uh, I don't think this one is as well liked. God I mean, based musicals. Yeah, the director is just a guy who went on to do TV and everything too. I think this mm-hmm. was like kind of his only big theatrical film. Um, do people like the Godspell like music? I'm just looking at the composer of it. Oh yeah, I think and... I've seen like some sort of stage version on TV when I was younger, mm. uh, but I'm not as familiar with it as I am with Jesus Christ Superstar. You see Cats yet? No, I haven't. I haven't. Is it worth <sighs> it? It's so boring. Is it boring? It's real boring. Yeah. See, I'm just. Yeah, it feels like it takes place on like three sets too. That's the thing. I'm just so wary of these like Hollywood movies that are like, whoa, this is like cult so films. bad. It, like it barely came out yeah. like a couple months ago 
and everybody's like, this is the, this is like the next uh, answer to the room or something. I'm like, ah. mm-hmm. but it's just like a mass produced Hollywood movie though. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's real bad. Yeah. And there's like some baffling choice. Like oh, basically sure it's bad in the way that choices were made that were incorrect and they were followed right to the end. Yeah. And I mean, I do like a good like Hollywood bomb where it's like, you don't know why it was made, but. I just feel like their Universal got like way ahead of the game and like realized like people were calling this like shitty right before it even came out. And it was like their advertising tactic changed like right away. And they were like, no, no, we're just selling this as like a so bad it's good experience now, you know. And that's like, (laughs) I don't know, that's a little cynical to me. But we also have Murder in Greenwich Village being put out by Sony, a 1937 film that has it ever been out on DVD? No, not as far as I can tell. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's with Fay Ray, and it's apparently yep. it seems like it's kind of like a noirish crime movie, but apparently it's actually almost a little more of like a um, screwball comedy too. At least according to the back cover of it, yeah. So I think it's got like a light touch to it, but uh, it's kind of obscure though. I don't know the director or anything. So is Sony trying to get into the game now? Yeah, and well they do like. They've been doing their own like MOD kind of like Warner Archive type releases for a while now, but it's been mostly like newer movies like like American Outlaws, which we watched way back. (laughs) But they do put out a classic film every once in a while. Wait, wait, American Outlaws available at Bay Street Video for still available forty dollars? I think nobody's or we sold one. We sold one copy, so somebody likes American Outlaws. Um, but yeah, I mean, they put out every once in a while, they'll put out like a classic film, like Godspell. They did like a man for all seasons recently, but, um, then they'll also mine these like more obscure titles. Like they put out that film, the ugly duckling a few weeks ago, which we talked about, which was another like obscure one. So yeah, I guess they're just mining their catalog for stuff that maybe they don't think it's worth to sell to another label like Kino or something to put out and just put it out themselves. We also have Doctor Who season three, Sylvester yeah, McCoy. I got nothing. Yeah. I got nothing to say about this. <laughs> I mean, it's nice that they're actually finally putting them out in season box sets yeah. instead of overpriced just arcs. I know. I but, know. But uh, I think the reason for that is that a lot of episodes have been uh, missing. Yeah, we talked about this last time. We talked about Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, so it comes been- up. Well, I mean, Doctor Who fans, buy these They're still popular, again. Yeah. yeah, people love their Doctor Who. <laughs> now, Downtown 81, that sounds up your alley, Mark. I know. Have you seen this, Doc? I have never seen this, actually, and I've been meaning to watch this for years because, yeah, this is, like, totally up my alley. So this is the film with um, Jean-Michael, Jean-Michel Basquiat as a graffiti artist, basically kind of just playing himself, but it is a fictional film, um, where it's him just trying to like struggling to pay the rent in like eighties era, New York, um, kind of has all those figures like Debbie Harry's in it. Vincent Gallo, I think shows up like John Lurie has music and all those kind of like New York, uh, kind of like grungy street artists kind of scenesters at that time are like involved in this. Um, it was that kind of film though, because it was filmed in the eighties, made in the eighties, and it wasn't actually given a release until about 2000, I think it didn't finally actually come out until then. So, um, it did have that delay, but it's, I, yeah, I've never seen it, but I always like, I love stuff from that era. I love Basquiat as an artist and I love that whole scene that obviously kind of like the no wave scene that like filmmakers like Jim Jarmusch came out of, um, and actors like Steve Buscemi and people like that. Right. And, um, and Vincent Gallo for that matter. (laughs) So, 
I know. So, um, yeah, I definitely will watch this. It's actually been out a few times already on DVD from different companies, but uh, Kino's now finally put it on Blu-ray through a company called Metrograph that I guess maybe did the theatrical release for it because I think they re-released it. Um, but yeah, nice, uh, nice package. I think it's got a few more extras on it and they've restored it. So, I mean, it is kind of like a grungy eighties movie shot on, I think 16 probably, but it'd be cool to like see it restored kind of to how it was initially meant to see, but I definitely will be checking now, this out. The next film I have lightning over Braddock. Yeah, uh, this is a weird one. I'd never heard of this I've either. So I just before. did some research on it, but it sounds fascinating. So Kino has mined this guy. So apparently this guy was like a documentarian, kind of like a, uh, an early Michael Moore type. So he it documented sort of the injustices in his town of Braddock, uh, Pennsylvania. Wait, sorry, I, I said believe. Tony Tuba, and, which sounds great, but it's actually Tony Booba oh, yeah. or Bubba. Oh, Tony Booba, yeah. Booba? Booba, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he was kind of this muckraking documentarian who would kind of explore um, basically sort of similar things to what Michael Moore did with Flint and in something like Roger and Me, but he did it in Braddock and with sort of like people being put out of work and union stuff and just like a bunch of – it collects a bunch of different both feature docs and short docs that he did. And I think he is a presence in these films as well, like Michael Moore. They keep referencing like he's basically like an early Michael Moore type, but maybe more of more authentic, a little grittier. So I'm really interested to check the set out. It kind of comprises everything, almost everything that he's done, whether it's short or feature films. So, yeah, kudos to Kino for collecting. Yeah, it that's all. cool. Yeah, Kino's really been because he also did the Maya Darren yeah. box set uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, and this isn't just like. Yeah, they're getting into like some more intriguing stuff. And they didn't just put it together like one of their cheap sort of Kino Studio Classics one. They actually like did some nice artwork for it. It's like part of their Kino Classics line and everything. And it's it's a nice release. I, I hope people come and check it out because I don't think many people know about this. But it's definitely the kind of release that I would like to see sell more and get more traction so that more of this kind of stuff can get put out. Now it's new stuff. The new movie That's on the docket. What's new this week? 1917, the Oscar winner. Uh Oh, no, it wasn't. Oh, yeah. Uh, I didn't see this. Did you? (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. It's like a it's like World War. It's like World War One, the theme park ride. Great. (laughs) All done in one take. Yeah. Fun. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it seems like for the technical feed. It's easier to like now that it hasn't won. Yeah. There you go. Or talk about that, that, that it was fun, because if it had beaten uh, Parasite, people would be like, ugh, this movie. But now, it's just a footnote. It's just a footnote, whatever. <laughs> Everybody's gonna be like, yeah, oh, Sam that Mendes doesn't need World any War II movie, yeah, that was shot in one take, right? Oh, that was fun. World War One movie. Oh, World War One. yes, clearly I don't know anything, so. Anything about it. <laughs> anything. Uh, we also have Come to Daddy, which is the first film by um, New Zealand, I guess kind of um, film distributor, film presenter, Art Timpson. Yeah, Ant Timpson, right? Is that what it Ant is? Timpson. Ant Timpson. Yeah, Timpson? I don't know why yeah, I have Art I Timpson know. here. Um, yeah, no, I uh, I watched this one uh, over the weekend. Uh, did you see no, this? No, I, I have not. Uh, even though I know Stephen McCaddy shows up for a dozen minutes at the beginning he of does. the movie. He does, yeah. Yeah, he's not in it as much as I would have liked because he's really good in it when he is in it. Um I thought it was okay. I really wanted to see this when it first came out because I just liked the premise. I, it just seemed really interesting. And for the first, I would say, like 45 minutes, it, it's really great. It, it really hooks you. You're not sure. It's got a weird vibe. You don't really know what everybody's deal is. Elijah Wood's character is the protagonist, but even he's kind of weird and is sort of secretive. So it kind of keeps you on your toes. 
I think it kind of falls apart, though, after that. Uh, once you finally find out what's going on, it got a lot less interesting to me. And then the climax. Werewolves. No, not werewolves. <laughs> but <yeah. laughs> Damn it. I know. Good guess, though. Good guess. <laughs> I think it just gets goes in a more conventional direction eventually than I would have liked. And there's a lot of like exposition towards the end of like what's happening and a lot of the characters explaining what's going on and it just I kind of oh, it kind of lost my interest in the first half in the last half hour, sorry. But uh but at first it's really good and it's it's stylish. I mean, he definitely I mean, like you said, like he's a producer, he's like curated, he does a lot of things. He clearly knows horror and knows how to build a, mm. a suspenseful movie. I think he just kind of Timson yeah. was the executive producer on the amazing Housebound. Right, which is great. Yeah, I love Housebound. Yeah. Um I think he just falls into some like the traps of some certain genre tropes towards the end. So uh it's okay I though. Wonder it's, what, it's worth a watch. What what is the name of all those like you know, I guess like Fantastic Fest Austin people who make movies, which is kind of yeah. like, and it's not Death Wave. No. Remember when that came up for a half a second? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's part of that whole wave, right? I think. Yeah, like yeah. people who hang out at Fantastic Fest, give themselves high fives <laughs> and stuff like that. Woo! <laughs> make some movies. Well, the weird thing about Fantastic Fest is I hear people talk about it all the time. I've never been. But like the screenings can only hold like 50 people. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, because they're... Because it's the Alamo, right? So they oh, have like tables. Okay. Interesting. So it's not like massive, like 800 uh, seat places. Okay. I thought it was a little bigger now than that, but uh, I guess not. I think, I mean, it is bigger. They have like a bunch of screens yeah. running, but like from what I've seen, it always sells out. Okay. And I'm just jealous because I've never been. So yeah, I, I will speak. Um, <laughs> have you ever been to Fantasia in Montreal? No, never. I was actually planning oh, so, on going this year. But, oh, yeah. I think uh, we talked about that. <laughs> doesn't look like that's going to happen anymore. So No, that will not. That probably won't happen. Yeah, I was already like book my accommodations and everything, too. <laughs> we also have Asako 1 and 2, uh, a new Japanese romantic drama being released by Grasshopper. Yeah, this looks really interesting. It's from the director of a film called Happy Hour from a few years ago, which was really well acclaimed. It was a really long, like four-hour Japanese film that got a ton of acclaim on the festival circuit and was also put out and was put out by, I think, Kino a few years back. But yeah, and then this one got a lot of buzz too. It's sort of like a weird time-jumping romantic drama where like, yeah, he this character meets a girl then meets her again several years later and something like that. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I heard nothing but raves from the festival scene. Yeah, got to check it out. I mean, you're not going to check it out, Mark. I know. You uh, I'll check it out. I want to see Happy Hour. I was really curious <laughs> to see Happy Hour, and then it was like I kept taking it out. And it was four, like four hours. hours. I need to. I need to find that time to see. It, like movies like that. I find I would much rather see at a festival, like in a festival environment. So you can't Because then I'm like forced to take it in. Yeah. But if I am left to my own devices at home, it just constantly gets passed over. I mean, you found time to watch the Black String, right? I did not, unfortunately. The 2018's Frankie Muniz uh, supernatural horror film. Yeah, Frankie Muniz is back on take, ladies and gentlemen. Um, back on screen, Agent Cody Banks himself. Yeah, woo. He looks a little kind of weathered and bloated now, but, uh, you know, he seems like he's doing okay. Still got that Malcolm, perky Ma- Malcolm look He to doesn't him. have at least that Eddie Furlong look. He's not there yet. No, I don't think he's that. I don't think he's gotten that hard into, like, drugs yeah. and alcohol as Eddie Furlong has. <laughs> 
Um, I don't know. This film, it's from the back description, it seems like he is a guy who who has like a one night stand with some girl and then starts hallucinating and getting sort of like weird symptoms. He's not sure what's going on. So I don't know. It's one of those kind of things. It was like a straight to VOD title. So. I'm sorry, Mark. I would have picked it if I had seen it. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, we also. Have I was cl- fully planning on watching this, and then it just for some reason Frankie Muniz just didn't call <laughs> didn't, out didn't to have me the, strong the enough. Pull of someone like yeah, Brendan Fraser. Of course, of course, right? Who uh, I think the next Brendan Fraser co- movie coming out is uh, an Indian film that he's the villain in. Oh no way! <laughs> I've seen it. Um, <laughs> that will be. A, he does no, a Nick Cage style accent. Ah, love it. I'm all for that. <laughs> Speaking of bloated. All right, so moving on. <laughs> oh my god yeah i saw him in uh he was in a john travolta movie recently called the poison rose Did oh you see that? No. yeah yeah i think yeah. we might have talked about that yeah brendan fraser was not looking good in that that's for sure we also have clemency being put out by universal this is one that i feel kind of like um went under the wire when it was playing at- yeah no i i heard nothing but raves about this because it played at sundance got a bunch i think it won some awards there and then I know she was kind of um, – Alfre Woodard was kind of bandied around as like a potential like dark horse awards candidate, but it just never happened. I'm really interested to see this though. Uh, the trailers I saw made it look really interesting. and I, I love these like intense sort of like dramas about people on death row. You know, I don't know. It just like yeah, speaks Sounds to like me. a bummer was, to me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm into that. <laughs> uh, we also have Cunningham, a documentary about the artistic evolution of – Mercy Cunningham, Merk Merk Cunningham, Merk Merk Merce. I don't I don't know. Yeah, he was obviously he was a really famous choreographer though, mm-hmm. and this was a this was a big deal in theaters because it was in 3D. Mm-hmm. I remember the oh, theatrical. It was, was kind of wow. like it was kind of like Pina mm-hmm. uh, when that came out, but for some reason the DVD release of it it's like it's just DVD and it's just 2D. Mm-hmm. only they haven't decided to do a 3d release for it so i know a lot of people were going to see it at like the hot docs theater here in toronto when it came out it was playing there for a while in 3d so i don't know people a certain older generation loves movies about dance so this is <laughs> very appealing to that crowd i mean us younger kids we love stuff like hunter's moon uh yeah, exactly. Lionsgate <laughs> that stars thomas jane and jay moore and Jay Moore. I know. I saw Jay Moore's name on there. It's like, what? Uh, Sheriff makes a strange discussion. Yeah, Mafia's own Jay Moore. Yeah, I know. Didn't we talk about Jay Moore a couple of episodes ago? I don't ago? think we did. Like we maybe did. we talked about Mafia, yeah. a movie that I love. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Which movie, I think I yeah. made the same joke back then. I'll make it again. as a new commentary track on it. And Jim Abrams, the director of Mafia, is baffled about what he's spoofing. He's like, oh, what is man. this? <laughs> Oh, Mafia. That was put out by Kino Classics, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, but they went, the, they went the extra mile to add a commentary they did. to it. Good for them. Yeah. No, I'm a big, big fan of Mafia. I used to watch that on repeat as a child. So Hunter's Moon, it sounds like a supernatural horror film with poor Thomas yeah. Jane. I know. Thomas Jane, just like every few months, gets put in one of these. I, I <laughs> yeah. love the guy, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't uh, hold out high hopes have, for this. Does he like a bad agent? Does he have a bad rep? Like, what's going on? I think this is just maybe the only kind of work he can get these days, honestly. You know, I don't think he made a big enough mark when he was like, you know, in Hollywood. Deep Blue Sea era Thomas Jane. Yeah, you know, he just nobody. He wasn't recognizable enough. His name's kind of generic. I think people just kind of forget about him. Uh, I just want my kids back. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, his greatest role in Arrested Development. 
yeah, we also yeah. have Love and Tosha, a documentary about Anton Yelchin. Oh, this sounds yeah. sad. This is going to be really sad, but I, I do want to see that it is narrated by Nicolas Cage, by the way, the wow, entire film. Really? Yeah, because apparently they because they did that Paul Schrader film together, Dying of the Light, the one that got like hacked up by the studio by the studio. Um, so apparently they were like be stayed friends after that. So he Nicolas Cage narrates this whole thing. And a lot of actors, I think it just goes to show how well loved he was in the Hollywood community. Like a lot of famous faces show up to pay tribute to him. Um, I always liked Anton Yelchin. I thought it was actually like pretty sad when he died because it was just like such a freak accident. And I remember and I always liked him. I thought he was always a good presence. And I remember I had even seen him at TIFF like less than a year before because it was uh, less than a year, I think, after Green Room was. Mm. Yeah, I saw him at TIFF at Green Room as well because he got up on stage and there and it was just. Yeah, right. And it's not that, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, people die all the time. And I don't know. There's just something about how freak accident this was that like just the fact of getting like crushed by your own van that's like. I don't know. It's awful. You know, getting the mail. It's just an awful. It's just an awful thing that happened. Um, did, so did you see Dying really of the Light? Tribu- the uh, Nick- I did. I did. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> I mean, it's not good. Yeah, it's it's awful. I mean, I'm very intrigued to see what the original cut would have been. And apparently, the original cut is floating around out there under a different title called Dark. Apparently, it was no, screened really? somewhere. Yeah. If you look on IMDb. It actually shows up as a different movie called Dark, and apparently it screamed screened somewhere in New York several years ago. But that's it. It's not like come out or anything because of contractual um, contractual rights or whatever. But the original cut apparently was closer to three hours, whereas the final cut is like an hour and a half. And it goes more into the fact because Nicolas Cage plays a character who's basically suffering from like. Um, dementia because of all of his years in the field and he's trying to get revenge on one last like terrorist guy that he couldn't catch or whatever while he's basically starting to lose his mind and apparently it goes more into the psychological effects of that but that was like all completely cut out of the version that came out and they just made it like a generic action movie just like Lionsgate usually does so Um, I would love to see the extended version though because it sounds I'd love to see what Paul Schrader did with it because, I mean, even Nicholas Winding Refn was a producer on it Yeah, he was. So. I was going to ask yeah. how it compared to um, Domino, the Brian De Palma film oh. that was taken and cut up on him. That I haven't seen yet. I want to, though. Why? I want to. You know it's going to be bad. I know. You know I'm, a bit of a De pa- I'm a De Palma completist, though. I kinda, I'm shocked I you haven't seen it, it yet. I know. I meant to get to it, and then I just kind of fell behind. And I just, again, you just hear it's, like, so generic that I'm like, uh, I know exactly what this is going to be. I'm just basically watching it for completest purposes. Have you seen Wise Guys? Uh, no, you know what? That's one of the ones I have not seen. It I is get on not that. good. No? Yeah. yeah. Not even the, <laughs> I think that's why um, I've been avoiding great it. Great power yeah. of, I think it's Danny DeVito. It is, yeah. Everyone's favorite. What's his name? Um, uh, Joe Piscopo. Joe Piscopo, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I got to get on that one. <laughs> um, as I said throughout this episode, now you got time, Mark. What are you doing in do. the store while you're just waiting for mail to come? <laughs> well, right now I've actually been doing work because I'm trying to set back because we've got all these bills to pay, pay, pay to serve, uh, to suppliers who have shipped us all this stuff that we can't actually sell now. So instead of 
paying all the bills out of pocket, we can actually return a bunch of product because we do returns throughout the store throughout the year for stuff that doesn't sell that well. And you can return it and get credits back. So I'm actually getting a lot of stuff together right now to return just stuff that we were going to send back in like a month or two anyway, just doing it a little earlier. So yeah, I've been doing that. But I don't know, come next week, I'm just going to be sitting here, you know, Watching Domino. Watching Domino. You know what? I'll probably watch Domino. A Domino double, man. Tony It'll Scott's do- Domino and Brian Palmer's <laughs> Domino. Oh, well, Tony Scott's Domino is an all-time classic. <laughs> so let's let's get real about that. So um, we have another documentary here, Shooting the Mafia, which is about the making of Jim Abrams' Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wish. I its own documentary wish. separately. <laughs> I know. Uh, but this is actually about an Italian photojournalist, uh, this lady who started shooting the mafia basically in the 70s, I believe, and and was basically on them so much she exposed a lot of their crimes and basically shone more of a light on it while obviously putting herself at like personal risk. Um, so, yeah, it's a documentary about that. Sounds fascinating. Yeah, that sounds great. We also have Stuffed, a documentary about taxidermists. A lot of documentaries this yeah, week. Yeah, a lot of documentaries. Yeah, I put them all together. The next one's a documentary, too. So that's <laughs> <laughs> just T-Rex, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know anything you, else You don't have anything to say than, about a taxidermy documentary? No, I assume it's, it's for taxidermy. sexual purposes, right? <laughs> yeah, you would say, yeah, right? I'm sure that's an aspect of it. That's got to be one It's got to be it. an aspect. There's no right, way they right. can just... Um... Yeah. And Otherwise, we also have I think T-Rex, a documentary about T-Rexes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> a T-Rex documentary. No, this is actually a documentary about a young woman from Flint, Michigan, actually, who um, aspires to be the first gold medalist uh, in Olympic boxing from her hometown. Um, and then basically just the struggles that she faces, obviously being uh, young and poor and from Flint, Michigan, obviously, which has its own host of problems, which we've seen over the years. Um, so, yeah. Um basically kind of like an inspirational sports documentary with kind of a social justice sort of message behind it. So it got really good reviews playing at documentary festivals, uh, but it's only getting a release right now, even though it was made about five years ago. Uh, we also have um, Merci pour tout about uh, sisters Marianne and Kristen travel to the Magdalen Islands where they will spread their father's ashes and... <laughs> is this uh, French is a French Canadian film? This is CanCon <laughs> right here. Well, this is from Louise Archambault, Archambault uh, who is the director uh, of uh, Gabrielle, uh, which was a fairly big Canadian film. Right. Um, yes. I want to say like five the years main ago. Actor won a yeah, bunch of yeah. It was about an autistic lady, I believe. Um, so, yeah, this is her. Is it? Is it a lady? I thought it was a lady. Is it Louise? Uh, you're right. Wrong? It's a lady. Louise yeah, it's a lady. It's. Yeah, it's her new uh, it's her new film. So I don't know much about it. Obviously, Gabrielle's kind of like got her a lot of acclaim, but none of her other stuff has really um, gotten that same kind of acclaim. Uh, she did another film the same year called And the Birds Rain Down, which was more acclaimed. I think played a little more. She basically made two films in the same year, and this is this is one of them, a light uh, French-Canadian comedy. Yeah, uh, and The Birds Rain Down was about three elderly hermits that live in the woods. That sounds like pride. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If it comes out, we'll, we'll get it here, that's for sure. Yeah, man, the Quebec DVD and Blu-ray market, as you've talked about before, Bay Street Video doesn't even have a foot in it. You can't get through the door. Yeah, 
Well, they're starting to let us get some more now. We we have like our Quebec supplier, supplier who used to supply us with like mongrel stuff. It kind of like went through them. Um, is now kind of letting us get more access to that Quebec stuff that before was like Quebec only. So yeah, we'll be. Because it seeing. all has English subtitles. It does. That's the thing. I know. Like and coming out soon in May, they're putting out uh, Les Misérables, like the recent film. Um, on mm-hmm. DVD. Love Russell Crowe. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's coming out in Quebec. Um, but like outside of there, it's like an Amazon title, right? So I don't know if that's getting any sort of release. But we're at least able to get the like Quebec release of that, which will have subtitles. Yeah, I was going through my DVD collection. I had a copy of Cadavre, which I don't know if you guys have in the store, which was the follow-up of Eric Kenuel's Bon Cop, Bad Cop. He like swung for the fences and oh, he made like a really dark right. comedy. <laughs> Like, yes, I remember it. I don't think we have it here, but I remember when that was coming out and seeing the ads up and everything. Yeah, I think it was a Quebec only yeah, release. Yeah, yeah. I picked it up from uh, Queen Street Video when they were selling oh, it. Oh, okay, yeah. So we also have Neverland, a new release from Wolf, which is about a young 17-year-old suffers from anxiety attacks, escapes into a virtual world where he meets a 26-year-old, and they start a relationship. Yep. This sounds like wolf material. Well, apparently, it's supposed to be pretty like culty too. Like, there's been a like if they there's record there's uh, comparisons to De Palma and Argento on the back. Huh, really? And one review I read said it's uh, kind of like they're trying to do Gaspar Noé's like Enter the Void, but in like sort of a German LGBT club kind of way. Um, I don't know. Cool. It sounds it sounds a lot more interesting than I would have initially thought. Um, but yeah, it's kind of only exclusively played like LGBT festivals. So um, it hasn't really gotten much of a release outside of that until now. Um, sounds cool, though, if you're into like kind of a dark sort of clubby. If you're into those like Gaspar Noé kind of like dark techno-y clubby sort of horror movies. Mm. We also have a new movie from Giant Ape, which is a great yeah. company name. They Remain, which is about scientists that discover a hor- horrific incident on a cult remote encampment. Supernatural stuff seems to happen. It stars William Jackson Harper from the good place yes and also midsummer which is like kind of similarly themed a little bit i guess in terms of like i don't know just the cult aspect i don't know this sounds really interesting i i haven't gotten around to it yet but uh the artwork is really nice giant ape has put a really nice package together for this for what is basically just like a small little indie movie uh, what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. It has a commentary track? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> but it's like, it's blue. <laughs> you keep saying nice package, yeah, and I'm nice like, pack- Basically uh... just because I like the artwork on it. <laughs> the artwork is very nice. <laughs> it's a nice, like, Blu-ray they put out. And it just, uh, there's comparisons to, like, they say it's like Tarkovsky a little bit, but like, Ooh, yeah. yeah we... I see here there's only two credited cast members. There is, And it's supposed yeah. to be like a chamber piece. Yeah, so I always like those people getting, like, lost in the woods sort of thing and losing their minds. So I think this just kind of flew under the radar, um, but the reviews were pretty solid. And I think it's just getting more attention now because William Jackson Harper is becoming a bit of a bigger name. Mm. We also have, I mean, people have been waiting for this, <laughs> Treadstone Season Hell 1. Oh, yeah. The show based on the Bourne series, but Bourne is not in no? it. No? Who is this for? Like, is this Bo- is crazy. Wait, Bourne is not in this? <laughs> No, Bourne is not in the show. Wow. I... It's just about the organization that like he worked for. Okay. I did not know that. Um yeah, I don't really. I mean, I lost interest in Bourne, you know, when they did the last Bourne movie. So <laughs> We've had this conversation. Man, there's only so many movie things that we can talk about. <laughs> I, know. I know. Mark, that's why you got to watch more I movies. I know. I know. I'm sorry, okay? 
But yeah, I don't know. So I yeah, know I guess this is for, for like your stepdad is probably like really big into the Basically, Robert Ludlum yeah. novels. <laughs> if you want to know more about the inner workings of Treadstone, you know, come on by. We also have a miniseries called Twin, which has a very funny premise, which I believe is Norwegian, right? It is, yeah. And it's about a young mother is responsible for the accidental death of her husband, and then she gets her husband's twin brother to take his I place. Know. I have actually seen this. Can you believe it? What? <laughs> I have seen this miniseries. Did someone grab you? <laughs> How did it happen? I, I had to review it. That's why. <laughs> oh, okay. That's the only and reason. was it fun? Um, I mean, it's got the problem that I have with a lot of TV is it just goes on way too long. Um, like it's an eight episode miniseries, but honestly, I I don't understand why this couldn't have just been a feature film. Like it's an, it's an interesting enough premise on its own, but like stretched out to eight episodes, it just like makes it just drags on and becomes more and more unbelievable as it goes along i mean even the way it starts up the way she kills her husband in this whole accident and the way her her the brother comes to take over his identity is so contrived and unbelievable like i I don't believe this would ever happen in any world and then the way everything goes from there like she like her husband is like and her are these big they run like a big sort of like boating tourist resort kind of thing on this in this tourist island of of Norway and they've got all these meetings coming up they've got a lot of big important things to do and she doesn't like prep her husband's brother at all for any of this so it's like it's like this guy constantly walking into situations <laughs> where he's like confused and people are asking him questions. He's like, uh, uh, I don't know. And the, and the wife is just looking at him, like hoping that nobody's going to realize, but it's like, why didn't you guys like sit down and have a powwow and like talk about all of this Prepare. stuff, you know? But it's like, yeah. all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, we've got a, an interview with the guardian. They're coming over to like interview us like tomorrow. And they just like, don't prep it all for it. So I don't know. It just, I, I like the the lead actor is Christopher Hivju, who was in um, Game of Thrones, but also was a supporting role in Force uh, Force Majeure. He was in Fast and Furious. I th- he was in one of the Fast mm. and Furious movies. Yeah, so yes, he was. Yeah, so he's been. I like him a lot. He he's good one. in this, but I don't know. It's just like the the series doesn't really live up to his performance. I don't think, and it just goes on so long. And in the end, it's just kind of anticlimactic too. It builds up to like kind of nothing at the end. So. Ugh. But, you know, people love their Scandinavian TV, so they'll eat this (laughs) up. We also have I Do Not Care If We Go Down in History as Barbarians, a film that I'm not sure what the plot is. It says a young artist reconstructs a historical event from 1941 in which the Romanian army carried out ethnic cleansing on the Eastern Front. So I've seen this uh, filmmaker's previous film, Afarim, and I loved Afarim. Yeah, yeah, you're a fan of him. I remember you talking about that one. Um, I haven't seen any of his stuff yet, but I'm really But interested. I have not seen his, this new one, and I've not heard anybody that has, but looking at reviews, it has very good ones. Yeah, it's supposed to be really great. It's supposed to be a really, like, controversial look into, obviously, recent Romanian history. Um, I think he really seems to be taking Romanian history to task with his stuff and getting a lot of government pushback. Um, but yeah, I love that he, I love that he titles his film just this like iconically terrible quote that was actually said, you know, by the, um, uh, the guy who basically sanctioned all this ethnic cleansing back in the day, right? This general, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm down with like confrontational kind of stuff like this. So I hope he kind of gets more, I feel like he hasn't got as much of a a claim as a lot of the other Romanian new wave directors, but uh, from what I hear, he's just as good. We also have the Song of Names being released by Elevation Sony. 
And this made me laugh because you just look at the yeah. uh, synopsis and it's the two heavyweights, Clive Owen and Tim Roth, <laughs> together at last Ooh. in a Francois Giraud yeah. film. A French-Canadian director that you may know directed The Red Violin. And looking at his filmography, yep. he's directed only music-based films. So he either loves it or he's stuck in a rut. It- <laughs> I know. Well, he also did that movie Silk, right, with uh, Kira Knightley and uh, Michael Pitt. That was oh, uh, that, that was like a non-music related. I remember seeing that when it came out. But he also okay. did a documentary on Yo-Yo Ma, thirty-two short films about Glenn Gould, and yep. I think there's one. Oh, the choir. <laughs> he did something recently too. Oh, he did Hocha Laga yes. recently. So which... that was famously like it was supposed to be like Canada's big Oscar like push, and yeah. everybody who saw it was like, yeah. why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, why this? <laughs> I don't know. I really liked 32 short films about Glenn Gould. Like, I, I mean, I, 32 films, a short film about Glenn Gould was a long time ago. That was I 1993. Know, I know. I thought it was really cool, though, when I saw it. Uh, but now, like, looking at his films since then, I'm like, this guy looks really uncool. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Song of Names, like, something for the old folks again. I, I don't know. It's like, I mean, you it's do like, love I'm, Tim Roth. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I think this was a, you know, this was a big TIFF premiere oh, last year, it right? And it's the legacy directors. They always, like, roll out the red carpet I for. feel like Francois Girard just has, like, a pass to do whatever he wants from telephone. Only if it's music-based. Only if it's music-based, though, yeah. <laughs> I love titles like The Song of Names, though, you know? It's just so, like, perfectly basic. We also have The Grudge coming out, uh, the 2020 Grudge. Another yeah. grudge. Mark, left you love JR. That's the best one to last right here. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I saw this. I don't know. It's it's okay. It's, it's better. I will say it's better than the previous American remakes. Like, I, I was never a fan of the Sarah Michelle Gellar one um, because it was just boring, basically. It was just, like, the exact same as the first movie, but without any of, like, the scares or style or just, like, atmosphere at all. Uh, this one has way more atmosphere because it's directed by uh, Nicholas Pesce, the guy who made um, Eyes of My Mother, which was a film I really hated, actually, when I saw it. I, I was never really I a fan of that. I only saw the first 20 minutes and I went, not for me. And he also did Piercing, which people really yeah, liked. Yeah, I didn't see that one, but I know people liked it. I think with Eyes of My Mother, I just like, it was really stylish, obviously. He shot it in black and white. It was really beautiful, but yeah. it was just like... Lots of drone shots. Yeah, I know. But it just became torture porn in the last, like, for like most that's of it. What, that's a feeling I got. Yeah, no, and it you. just didn't interest me at all. And you're, like, following this protagonist who's just this, like, crazy girl because she saw her, like mother get murdered when she was a kid and like it was just like nothing to relate to in it and i just i don't know it didn't work for me it's he's definitely stylish though and he brings a lot of that style to the grudge but like it's still kind of the same old like basic american horror movie scares and like it doesn't really do anything new with it there are a few good kill like he does have some really good gory kills in it it definitely ups the violence i would say from like the previous grudge movies but the scares are all just like those typical like CGI ghosts like popping out and scaring somebody. Those CGI ghosts just, look so much like shit. They look so bad too, and I'm like, I'm watching it. It's like this movie just like came. Sam out. Sam Raimi loves. Oh those my things. god! It's like this movie just came out like a few months ago, and it already looks dated. You know. <laughs> well, 
I mean, don't check out the grudge, I guess. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, if you want some like mindless scares, go for it. But you could you could do better. Just watch the original Juon. They're so like fatalistic. I just I don't like watching them. I agree. It definitely keeps the fatalism. Like basically every nobody is, you know, escapes unscathed from the grudge, Boring. which is what I liked about it. The, like that's why I initially liked <laughs> Juon because it's like <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't like that. I like I like the fatalism of certain J-horror. I, that's why I like J-horror. It's got that fatalism to but it. But it's all the same. Just, Everybody just dies at the end. Like it's not fresh. I know. I I I like that though, but I don't know. I, for some reason, in the American versions, it just doesn't work for me. When it's done in like the Japanese versions, it has like maybe because the like ghosts are so enmeshed with their culture in Japan that it's really just feels like it's this big sort of like cultural um, idea that they're getting at of of ghosts walking among us and the fact that like life and the afterlife are all this kind of like enmeshed sort of world whereas in the american movies i just i don't get any sense of that at all it's what about so i'm gonna do like a bigfoot film like that (laughs) you know take the north american context (laughs) yeah yeah and implement it actually there's a million bigfoot movies and none of them are good not even bobcat goldway's bigfoot movie no i never saw that one i I heard it was decent though there's no bigfoot in it Ah, that's a shame. Yeah. They sell it like it's a Bigfoot movie. It is, but you never see an actual guy in a suit. Oh. Which is what oh. I want. I heard the guy who did um, The Blair Witch made a crazy Yeah, one. exists, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I didn't see saw. that. Uh, I was intrigued. I was intrigued. Yeah, I think the only Bigfoot movie I've seen is, like, Boggy Creek. I don't know if I've gone past that. <laughs> a Legend of I Boggy know. Creek. Which is funny. I, I don't know. I like that movie. Yeah, that one's good. It's just like hillbillies, you know, standing around being like, I seen it. (laughs) (laughs) As like some dude in a suit just like wanders by in the woods. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) So that's it for this week and probably for a while, right, Mark? Because you're not getting new releases in. I know. So basically we are closed for two weeks at the minimum, (sighs) but could be longer. It's going to be longer, Mark. Yeah, as long as this thing's going on. Hopefully it's not too long. But yeah, so I guess this will be sort of the end of our regular new release picks. Uh, But I don't know. Maybe we'll do like brief kind of things Mm -hmm. about like little videos here and there for little little recordings here. Little videos. Ooh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Little remote videos. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. Yeah, we could we could do something. Hopefully it's not too long. I want to bridge the gap with something. Yeah, you don't want to like be gone for four to six months and then suddenly show up bearded. Exactly. Right. Because there is still stuff like technically being released that we can we can chat about. You know, we can get people ready for when we reopen and we will have this stuff. I wonder, like, so is it all going to come in like one big go? Everything that's like. That's a great question, man. I don't know. Like right now, all of our shipments, like our impending shipments are just being held. Yeah. So I think as soon as we say, okay, send them to us, we're just going to get like a whole bunch of shipments all at once. <laughs> but I don't know. But then I'm not sure if they'll have everything because I don't know if they're, the discs are being made like we were talking about before. It's, well, did it's you just see um, Vinegar Syndrome announce the, like they get into studio titles because they have the MGM catalog. Yeah. They're putting out Patty Hearst, that. Paul Schrader's. And, uh... I know. I cannot wait. I've always wanted to see that. That movie's great. Nice. Yeah, I've never seen it. Always been interested. All right. Well, so next time, uh, I'm Justin Clue. And I'm Mark Hansen. Stay safe out there. And uh, when Bay Street Video reopens, keep on. And keep on renting. We'll be here. We promise. These movies and many more are available at your local video store.